Hey everyone, welcome to episode 10 of How's That Day, a culture rundown with Tom and Phil. I'm Phil, and I'm here to introduce you to my co-host Tom. Each week, Tom and I, we get together and we chat about how our days have been going, and together we work through our thoughts on what's going on in pop culture. I will start this week with the same question I've been asking him for the last 10 weeks. Tom, how's that day? Well, first off, hi Phil, and hello world. Hello world, we're here, we're here broadcasting. Hello to the 14 people who rated us five stars on Apple Podcasts. I love you guys. It's about quality, not quantity. No, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed we got 14, honestly. Hell yeah. I think that's awesome, even though I'm pretty sure one of them was me. Sure, sure. I, I'm, one might have been me, but no more than that. And I did see one review that was very nice. It says, I don't know Tom and Phil, but I went searching for their Roseanne episode, and they seem very intelligent, and this was a wonderful listen. It said something along those lines, and I was like, hell yeah, we're doing good. That was on iTunes? Yeah, I just happened, because I, I, when we first started, I, I have to admit, I was like checking it like pretty frequently. I was like, oh, how, how will this just grow naturally? <laughs> but uh, I realized it wasn't doing too much, so I just kind of left it alone for a while. But then I checked back, and yeah, there was a couple of extra new reviews, and it was nice. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you, anonymous person. I hope you're still listening, even though we've just been dicking around. Well, we, you know, we're, we don't have to talk about it yet, but we are going to talk more Roseanne today. We are. There's some new Roseanne news, uh, but we'll get there. My my day is good, Phil. Thank you for asking. Oh, I forgot I asked. Uh, yeah, you did. You always ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I gotta say, uh, you know, right now we are mixing another movie. We're doing Mamma Mia 2, which to me the, the subtitle of it is funny because it's called That's a joke. Mamma Mia. Go. What do you mean? I, That's a joke. No, it has to be a joke. The title. It has to be somebody's cruel joke. Go ahead. Say, say the title. Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Exactly. It's exactly right. They like it's so funny. It's like it's the best double entendre or entendre or whatever, however you say that, ever. Because it's for the fans of the movie. It's oh hell yeah, here we go again. We're going again. And for the people who hate it, it's oh fuck this shit again. So how's the movie? How's the mixing? What have you seen? You can't say what you've seen. I don't want you to do that, but. Have you seen anything? You enjoying the experience? They nice people. Uh, yeah, crew's been great. Um, Boo! I want dirt. I I don't have enough dirt yet. It's only been a few days, but uh, Gary Getzman's one of the producers who he's been there at my job over the past year and a half. He's probably been there on three shows now. He produced the Circle. He did this uh, HBO one woman show called Notes from the Field, which premiered in February, I think. Uh, he's a really chill guy, like cool L.A. producer type of dude. Um, Talked about this last episode. Did we? Yeah. Oh, shit. All right, never mind. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I well, you, it, it, you clearly don't listen to our show. It tied into my day, the how's your day, how's that day question, because maybe I already talked about this last week. Too, well, but. you talked about that you were working on Mamma Mia 2, and you talked about how nice of a guy Gary was, and you were looking forward to it. So now you've spent these several days with Gary. Yeah, well, I, m I mentioned Gary because he's the only one I kind of know at this point because everyone cool. else is pretty new to me. But yeah. what's, what's cool about the day is this is the first show I've worked on where the lunch is catered every day. You were also very excited about this last episode. Yeah, but you like, were like, now, "Dude, it's gonna be catered," and now it's catered. Tell me about the catering. How the is catering it? is so good. I do not need to make 
or order dinner for the next like three and a half weeks. Cancel that blue apron. There's so much food. There's just ample leftovers. And it's amazing. Every day is different. I had so much food today. I had so much strawberry shortcake dessert that I like, I straight up told my boss that I wish I could just go take a nap and not work. And she was yeah. like, ah, that's so funny. Get go go to work. And I did. But yeah, the honestly it like made my day. She even commented, she just saw me just sitting at the table with this shit eating grin on my face in the middle of a huge piece of strawberry shortcake because I was just so happy. And she's I, like, I, I don't want to work. <laughs> she was like, I've never seen you this quiet before. And I'm like, well, I'm really having a moment of zen right now. I'm sorry. So that's that's basically been the bread of my day. I just got home a little while ago. Caught the last couple minutes of the Stanley Cup Finals Game 2. Washington won to tie it up, which I'm happy about. Because uh, I'd like to see Alex Ovechkin win a Stanley Cup. You know, we haven't really talked hockey, even though we did a sports episode. There's a oh, reason why, and that's because I don't know a single thing about hockey. Yeah, and I, I won't pretend that I watch a ton of games. I, I watch some Bruins games throughout the year, and then I like the playoffs when they're on. Um, but Alex Ovechkin for the Capitals, he may be the greatest NHL player of all time who has never won a Stanley Cup. And this is his first time in the Stanley Cup Finals, so I think it'd be cool to see him win. You know, he's like the Ted Williams of hockey or the Charles Barkley of hockey. Um, what's the football equivalent? I don't know. Dan Marino, probably. Sure, sure. So would be would love to see him win, or it'll be the Vegas Golden Knights in their first season ever. It's just such a weird finals but that's been my day phil how's your day my day's been good nice and quiet uh i've actually well i've had a lot to do but it's kind of like the stuff i often have to do every day so i'm pretty used to it by now i lately i have been watching movies for class i have to somehow squeeze a a screening in not tonight i probably won't be able to do it tonight because we're recording late but tomorrow at some point i need to sit down with the czech film daisies that i've kind of been talking to you about because i have to write an essay on that so i was up last night and then here's what I did this week. Um, I think I told you about this via text, but I'll tell the story again because... Please do. So I, I was assigned the movie... Uh, I'm taking, as I mentioned in a previous episode as well, I am taking a women in film class for my studies right now. And we're being assigned a lot of films about starring women or directed by women, uh, often both. And it's been great. So far, I'm enjoying it. It's been easy watches. I've gotten to write some nice essays that I've actually genuinely enjoyed typing. Uh, if you haven't noticed, we're a pretty big nerds, so I actually like get into breaking down movies and everything, uh, whether it's through podcast or through film essay. Either way, I like it. So, you know, I'm typing these essays, and she assigns us for to compare the portrayal of gender in Superstar and in Daisies, the 1960s Czech film. So I'm like, great, great. Daisies, feminist classic. I've seen it before. It's been a while, so I'm, I'll, I'll be happy to like watch it again. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really remember anything about it, so it's kind of a mystery to me again. I, I, it's also very an abstract film, you know? Like, it's nonlinear. It's kind of um, very plotless, very meandering. It's about these two girls who are just kind of wandering around, and it's about, you know, these abstract images and stuff. of their, And it's very surreal things. So I, I remember very little about the, like, actual hardcore details so i definitely need to rewatch it but i was like okay superstar the molly shannon 1999 snl spinoff comedy i was like really and i know this teacher well enough to know like this seems like in law in her wheelhouse it seems like something she would assign where it would be like no here's this movie that 
I want you to take seriously that most people wouldn't. Like every teacher has their own little like quirks with the with these types of titles that I've found in my years of film school. So I watched film so I watched Superstar with Molly Shannon. It's currently streaming on Hulu and Amazon Prime if anybody else is eager to seek it out. And I watched it and I took like a shit ton of notes, man. Like I was ready to break that fucker down. I was like I was like, "Oh, I know exactly what I'm going to say about it. How it's it's actually like got not a lot to say, but it is doing a lot with gender and like sexuality and being from the point of view of a teenage girl, but it's also like this surreal comedy, uh, you know, about adults and it's so it's so weird and abstract and kind of it's more like a John Waters movie than it is a studio comedy that you would think of. And it's very surreal at times. And I was like, oh, I can kind of see like, I don't know that I like this movie. But I can definitely write an essay about it. It's a strange, it's a strange fucking movie, and it's all it's full of like religious imagery and sexuality and her like humping in inanimate objects. And I was like, okay, this is a movie about sexuality and gender and shit. So I like I was gearing up and ready to go. And then what do I find when I go to like uh, go deeper into the uh, essay or the, into the homework for that week's assignment? I find that she means superstar, the Karen Carpenter story. Tell the, tell the fans what superstar the Karen if you, Yeah, which story makes... I should have known. It makes far more sense because Superstar is from art house favorite Todd Haynes. It's one of... I think it is his first film. He might have made one other short before that, but that's it. It's one of his first feature... Or shorts. It's 45 minutes long. It is renowned in the indie art house scene. It's about the Karen Carpenter of the Carpenters, and it's never been officially released because... Of they can never get the rights to the songs because it's full of Carpenter songs, which were massive hits, and they were never gonna get the rights to the song. To and the Carpenters were never gonna like approve of this bio of this uh, depiction of the family. So you have to see it. it's online. It's on DailyMotion.com. It's on YouTube, I believe, as well. So it's easy to f- see if you want to see it. But this that film's about like anorexia, anorexia, and gender, and all this other you know other very serious stuff and about like the depiction of women and the, the way they use Barbie dolls. Everything's like done as like a puppet show, you know, with Barbie dolls. So that's what the film's most known for is it's the Barbie doll movie. And so it's not quite stop motion. It's more like a puppet show of like, you just see them kind of being moved and, and you don't see like their legs. So you can see that there's probably just a hand moving them from the bottom. And there, it's like this weird mix of that with documentary footage and, recreations it's this mishmash of stuff so it's like 45 minutes long totally different thing so basically i watched the wrong movie and but almost I, i'm glad i didn't write the wrong essay that would have been yeah, so how did you find out well because i i knew that the homework was coming up so there's other movies that you have to watch for the class that have to do with the actual like lectures and you have to watch some clips. And I hadn't quite gone into the lecture yet. So I had skipped ahead to see the homework. I was like, oh, I know I need to watch something specifically to write a long essay about it. I just want to know what that is ahead of time before I dive into the rest of the readings or anything. So I just read the, the depiction or the description of the homework and it just said superstar. It did not say superstar, the Karen Carpenter story. Just Which is superstar. a fault. That is a fault of your teacher. Yeah, I mean, like, if I would have clicked through the rest of assi- of the assignments and, like, listened to the lecture first, it would have been very... Because she talks about the Karen Carpenter story. Okay, so, so it, it's, it, no, it's your fault. It would have been much clearer. I basically just, like, should have done the lectures before I went to do the homework. Uh, I was just doing... I was trying to do the homework. I was trying to prepare to do the homework before the lectures. So... 
Maybe that was my fault, but you know, it's still, I'm glad I caught myself. So I watched two, two superstars this week. That's basically how my week's been going. I've, otherwise, I've just been busy at work, doing the regular stuff. My daughter You're... just, my daughter just graduated eighth grade. So hey, she's congratulations. Yeah, she's uh, finished with eighth grade. She's going into grade school. She's very excited to see Bo Burnham's eighth grade. You mean high she's... school? Yeah, yeah, high school, I mean, yeah. yeah. And so she's, yeah, whatever. She's going to be 15 next month. So we, we've, yeah, we've been talking about how in like six months she's going to be getting her temps. So she's going to be like doing the driving thing soon. So yeah, man, it's happening. When do you think she's going to get her first tattoo? 17. 17. Because right. if you wait, you're you're a bit of a bit of a shit. Yeah, if you wait till you're 32 to get your first tattoo, or you could be like me and not have one yet. I feel like I've that time has passed. If I was gonna be a tattoo guy, I I was gonna do it earlier. But you, I guess you can tell your little story. You became a tattoo guy late in life. I got Very a recently. tattoo. Yeah, just a few months ago, Twin Peaks tattoo. Actually, another thing that happened today. One of the crew members on Mamma Mia was talking to one of his co-workers and I just happened to be in the kitchen and as he was leaving he saw my tattoo and got really excited and he said hey sorry uh what's your name I'm freaking out about your tattoo right now I was like oh thanks man it is like a little like it's like a we're in a club together thing if you know what this means it's like hey we can be friends yeah yeah it was cool that always makes me feel good I had that when I was in Mexico. We went on a cenote with a guy, and he had a shirt that just said "No More Parties in L.A." Uh, that's all it said on it. it. Didn't say anything else. And I just went up to him. I was like, "So you're a big Kanye West fan?" And he was like, "No, but I really like this shirt." And I was like, "Oh, okay, but you know." And then we started having a long conversation about Kanye. Did you talk was, about scoop diddy boop do whoop? I I did, but that was because it had literally just come out like three days before or something when that. So it was very fresh when I was talking to this guy. We did talk about scoopity poop. Which uh, he references again in a new Pusha T track, which we will talk about later. But we Phil, will. what are we going to talk about first? Let's, all right, since last week we were halfway through the playoffs for, uh, we were, what were we? I think we were at game five when we were talking. We were in the conference now. finals. We are now in the NBA finals. They start tomorrow. You break it down. Yeah, so we're, now we're, yeah, so let's like see, we were talking about yeah, LeBron why, why at that you, point. Why are you introducing basketball? Why am I, mean, I setting up this. the sports? Well, yeah, because yeah. if you do it, you're going to go on a 20-minute tangent no, about everything. No, I'm going to make I, it brief. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run through this bullshit. So the boring-ass teams won. Cleveland won. Golden State won. Congratulations. Boston and Houston totally collapsed on their home court in Game 7. It was the first time since 1979 the conference finals in both conferences went seven games. So that was kind of cool. But that uh, belies the fact that that both series were mostly boring, unless you were a fan of one of the four teams. The uh, Celtics-Cavs had two good games out of seven. Uh, The Rockets had a classic Game 4 a sloppy but exciting Game 5, a Game 6 in Golden State where Houston could have won, where Houston came out and dominated in the first quarter and then held on to a double-digit lead at halftime, and then Golden State just blew them out of the water and ended up winning by 30. They they outscored Houston by, I think, 45 points in the second half, which is absurd to even think about. Yeah, and, and as we talked about, that's what we talk about, boring games. Yeah, and then uh, Game 7... Um, the teams that everyone expected to be in the finals are in the finals. It's the fourth year in a row 
Cleveland Cavaliers versus Golden State Warriors. I'm bummed as a Celtics fan, but they had a great run. Um, the threes that have been falling all year just stopped falling for them. But we have a great rookie, Jason Tatum. He's going to be a stud. Next year we get Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward back. I have a lot of faith in that team. I will say, even though Cleveland just ousted the Celtics, I'm I'm definitely rooting for Cleveland in this finals. LeBron, yeah, I, I LeBron will be is just yeah, a freak of nature. Well. Yeah, he's just he's too good to ignore. He's, you got to appreciate this guy while he's still around. He's getting up there and years played and minutes played and what I he's feel like doing. he's earned another ring too. Like he's I feel like he's he needs another one. Yeah, he's been in the finals eight straight years, which hasn't been done since, you know, the Bill Russell's sixties Celtics teams. It's really unfathomable what he's doing. And the Warriors, they were great when they were a homegrown team. I've talked about it before. Durant joined. He kind of ruined the whole team for me. Um, it's a bummer, but it'll be a well-played finals. I think Golden State's going to win it in five games, but I hope I'm wrong. I hope Cleveland surprises people and at least extends it to another Game 7 because last time Cleveland and Golden State played a Game 7, it was one of the most exciting NBA games of all time, and LeBron cemented his legacy forever. Well, I mean, think about if you think that's boring. Imagine how everybody else watching the NFL feels about the New England Patriots. See, but th- this is different, in my opinion. I-, I get why you're bored of seeing the same team over and over, but I'm not bored because they're a, the same team. Because you're a Boston fan. Of course you're no, not bored. No, well, no, I'm not bored because it's the same team in the finals. I'm bored because Kevin Durant joining the Golden State Warriors ruined a lot of basketball in May and June for me. It's just, you can't have a former MVP and the second best player in the entire league join a 73-win team. It's just not exciting. Teams like you'd, the Spurs... You'd be mad the, if it was like the... So you're saying if it's not like the New England Patriots are going every year, you're, you would be bored if it was the New England Patriots versus the Packers for like eight years in a row. No, I'm not saying that at all. I, I, if Durant hadn't joined the Warriors, the Warriors had a very good chance of making four straight finals anyway. And that would be super exciting to me. The problem is they are no longer this homegrown success story. The Spurs are a homegrown success story. All their great players, Duncan, Ginobili, David Robinson, Tony Parker, they were all drafted by the Spurs, developed by the Spurs. With the Patriots, all of their best players, with very few exceptions, were homegrown players. Tom Brady was drafted. Julian Edelman was drafted. Gronkowski was drafted. Their great defense back in the day, all draft picks that they developed. Aaron Rodgers on the Green Bay Packers, developed by the Packers. Those teams are great. The Warriors, before Durant showed up, Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, all drafted by the Warriors, developed by the Warriors. That's awesome. That's fun to watch. Durant... Durant ruined a lot of the competition for me. It's just you don't join a team that that's good that that is that good already when you are also that good. You should want to play that team and try to beat that team, and that's what doesn't excite me. I think I've uncovered this like purist in you that's like you're trying to be consistent throughout your sports about homegrownness being a uh, valuable asset in the Tom Bond Chamber of Secrets. Well, it's just it it's a better story, and yeah, I think. You know, it's one thing when, like, a a role player or an aging veteran joins a new team, you know. It's another when Durant... Like a a late career Brett Favre going to the Vikings or a Shaq going wherever. Yeah, Durant should be the Western Conference LeBron trying to take down this Warriors team. Like, 
that's why I'm rooting for the Cavs. As boring as LeBron in the finals may be for people, he's the guy, at least right now, trying to battle this team year after year after year. I mean, this Cavs team that's about to play in the finals tomorrow night from the time we're recording this is probably the worst team he's taken to the finals since 2007. And he's been, this is his ninth NBA finals. I mean, this team is awful. This is all on LeBron. Jeff Green was their best player, who was an NBA cast off. He was their best player in game seven. This is just well, Le- LeBron doing things that people aren't supposed to do. It, it is, it reminds me a lot of Brady winning the MVP at age 40 and throwing for 500 yards in the Super Bowl. Players at this point in their career shouldn't be this good anymore. And he still is. So, yeah, I'm all about the Cavs. Go, Cavs. Yeah, and that's like a whole other topic about like sports medicine and the advancements there and stuff. About yeah, like they're, what they're and like health errors, advancements, obviously. yeah, and yeah. like just like what the players' bodies are capable of these days and what we can like push the body to health in a healthy manner now. Like what we know is so different. Yeah, and LeBron is LeBron and Brady. Another example. They're just such freaks with how they take care of themselves. Their injury luck, the way they they're maintaining their body is they do it 365 days a year. And not a lot of great athletes do that. So they deserve all the success they get, in my opinion. Yeah, you have people like Ocho Cinco who are uh, eating McDonald's at practice every day. There's another NBA story that I really want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. The, you, tell me all about the curious case of Brian Colangelo. Is that how you Colangelo. say it? Colangelo and the secret Twitter accounts. Yes. So, okay, this, this story is amazing. It broke uh, last night, Tuesday, May 29th. On this website called The Ringer, which is uh, run by Bill Simmons, who any sports fan knows that name. Uh, I'm a big fan of Bill. Yeah, he was a big writer for ESPN. He started the website Grantland, rest in peace. He has a really popular podcast that is mainly about sports, but covers a lot of other topics and entertainment and culture and has a lot of great interviews. And now he has this website called The Ringer. They did this investigative piece that started in early February. They finally published it yesterday. No one knew this was happening. So the the Philadelphia 76ers, this young up-and-coming team, have, uh, as their president of basketball operations, this guy Brian Colangelo, who's been an NBA lifer. His dad is an NBA front office legend, Jerry Colangelo. Brian Colangelo has been in the league for several decades. He worked on the Suns when Steve Nash was there. They were the really exciting seven seconds or less Suns. He went to Toronto and got Kyle Lowry on the team and helped turn them into an NBA contender. And now he's in Philadelphia taking the reins of this really young, exciting team. So what happened is, in early February, very late January of this year, uh, a writer at The Ringer, Ben Dietrich, I believe is how you pronounce his name, got this tip on social media. This account that DM'd him and said, I have a possible scoop. Do you want to hear it? Ben Dietrich says yes. And this guy says, I have a lot of circumstantial evidence this this source who we still don't know who he is he's a code breaker we know that much yeah he works in artificial intelligence basically and he says i have five twitter accounts that i've been following that i believe are all linked to brian colangelo the 76ers president of basketball operations now as as far as we knew before the story was published colangelo is not on social media he doesn't have an active twitter account So the ringer picks up the story and follows these accounts for like three months. And they're basically all similar. They follow a lot of the same people. 
They follow all the 76ers beat writers. They follow some of the players. They follow a lot of the same wordplay and the tweets. Yeah, they follow um, uh, a lot of stuff involving the University of Chicago basketball team where Brian Colangelo's son plays basketball. Uh, A bunch of them followed Brian Colangelo's former agent. Anyway, all the tweets are pretty much defending Brian Colangelo, criticizing past and current Philadelphia 76er players and criticizing the man who replaced Brian Colangelo as president in Toronto of the Toronto Raptors. Basically this super defensive snowflake series of accounts, right? Well, yeah, here's a paragraph in the thing that I thought summarized everything perfectly. Most disturbingly, the accounts have repeatedly disclosed potentially damaging information about Sixers players. Yeah. The accounts routinely challenge journalists to report these negative claims and in some cases have pushed writers to ask players specific questions or to contact the organization to set up interviews. In every example, the accounts have been pursued and have pursued an agenda of absolving Colangelo of blame while vilifying Sixers players. That I thought summed it all up kind of nicely. Yeah, that's the that's the real meat of this issue. So just to finish this backstory, so what the Ringer did, the Ringer staff, they, when they finally had enough evidence where they said, okay, there's something here, uh, I think it was a week or two ago, they reached out to the Philadelphia 76ers organization. They kept three of the Twitter handles hidden from Philadelphia, and they said, we have these two Twitter accounts that we think are somehow linked to Brian Colangelo, your president. They told this person in the Philadelphia 76ers organization, I think the guy said, okay, I'll look into it. Within minutes of the ringer reaching out, those other three accounts that they had been following that they did not mention to the organization suddenly went from public to private, all three of them, within a span of like 10 or 15 minutes. The ringer reached out and said to that Philadelphia... I bet bet they were watching that in the ringer offices like, holy shit! Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, dude, this story gets crazier beyond this article I sent you. So... For anyone interested, it's on theringer.com. If you just Google Brian Colangelo or Philadelphia 76ers in the ringer, it'll show up. It's a huge trending story right now. Basically, uh, Brian Colangelo had to come out and he admitted that one of the accounts, this one of the five that has never really tweeted anything, is him. He says, I use that one. The other four, he basically thinks, you know, his statement was, this is a smear campaign. I don't know who's doing this to me. But I have never used these accounts at all. I don't know who is all this shit. What the accounts do is, yeah, it, it's leaked information about players' injury history that has been previously unknown. The, the, the most damning one is there's this player, Jaleel Okafor, who's now in the Brooklyn Nets. But he was on the 76ers for a few years. And he was kind of a draft bust. And they tried to trade him for a couple of years. It was pretty well known, like an obvious... Uh, a known secret, basically, that they were trying to get rid of him. They finally traded him this past season. Some of these accounts were tweeting to Philadelphia 76er media members explaining that the reason why they couldn't trade him earlier is because he had failed his second physical and the 76ers organization were keeping it a secret uh, so Julio Okafor could save face. Disclosing like serious medical problems that, as far as we know, is has never been mentioned before. And these Twitter accounts also actively shit all over current Philadelphia 76ers star Joel Embiid, calls him immature and egomaniac, 
obsessed with like strippers and porn stars and all this weird shit. Yeah. And then and then does these really weird tweets defending Brian Colangelo's attire. Like he has a thing with popped collars basically and he like goes these accounts go to bat saying like it, this isn't a weird look this looks totally cool <laughs> like this guy's not a a weird guy for liking the type of shirts the way he is which to me is yeah. just <laughs> hilarious but yeah so here's the update of this account as the story broke last night nba twitter went crazy i was following it along it was like it took two hours of my time i was just having so much fun reading about it because unlike a lot of you know scandals that happen in and out of the sports world this one is mostly just really funny like it's so absurd yeah yeah well that's what i was when i was reading it i was like halfway through the article and i was wondering like because i thought it was going to be some massively illegal thing when i first started into it and i and maybe some of it is uh, we're not i mean it's certainly uh dishonest and immoral and uh very shady and should be investigated but i, I don't know that it's illegal and it's also just mostly embarrassing like it makes him just look like a little wiener you I mean, it's, it's beyond embarrassing because if it's true... Well, it's also, don't get me wrong, it's career suicide. It's, yeah, he's, it, he's over. Yeah. His career's done, and not just in Philadelphia. Like, this guy's been in the... He's a very well-known... Yeah, it wasn't NBA his father. Figure. Yeah, his father his was father, in the... His father, Jerry Colangelo, like, ran Team USA Olympic basketball for a while and, you know, has been in the NBA for five decades or something like that. Yeah, so he's a lifer, man. Yeah. So last night it blows up on Twitter. Even Joel Embiid, that 76er star who was getting shit on constantly by all these yeah tell me tell me about the player reactions i haven't gotten into that the player reaction around the league was just like this is fucking crazy (laughs) i don't know like this can't be true because it's too crazy to be true and joel Embiid was responding like he went back and started liking every comment from these five uh twitter accounts (laughs) that shat all over him and said that just read every single one of them and said that Brian Colangelo called him immediately when the story broke and said, this isn't true. This is bullshit. Don't believe this. It sounded like Embiid kind of believed it, but eventually at the end of the night said, for the record, I don't think this is true. This would just be too insane if, if this was actually going on. So it's a update, long fucking article, man, with a lot of fucking evidence. It's a great article. It's a very well-written, well-researched piece. So here's the update from today. Because the internet is crazy, and like once information gets out on the internet, anyone can take control of it. So here's what people have done. On Twitter, NBA fans have been accessing these Twitter accounts by requesting like lost, forgot password info, and have gotten email accounts addressed to it that look like they could be from Colangelo, like they include his initials. And the one that Colangelo verified was his account, plus another one. You know, when you forget a password, and if your phone is hooked up to it, they say, we can send you a password to your phone number ending in these two digits. Yeah. So they find that, they post the two digits for two of these accounts, and Philadelphia Sixers media members start responding and saying, those two digits match the phone number I have for Brian Colangelo. Boom. But then there are three other accounts that don't. They have a different phone number ending in 9-1. And all these media members are going around like, I don't have a Brian Colangelo number that ends that way. I don't know what's going on. Here's what just happened like an hour ago. Second right phone? We, we, got, we got a Walter White situation? His wife's phone ends in 9-1. Uh... And not only does his wife's phone end in 9-1, but his, wife's, his wife is from Italy. So English is her second language. At least, and she's maybe, in the mafia. Maybe even third or fourth. If you read one of the Twitter accounts, actually a few of the Twitter accounts, it's full of broken English, 
and weird uh, turns of phrase. And they follow these like Italian religious Christian like quote accounts, you know, and his wife is apparently a very religious Italian lady. And were there any meatball recipes we should be taking note of? (laughs) That's racist. I know. Uh, Are Italians really? (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm Italian. I'm Italian. I'm Italian. It's okay to be racist to like countries that are predominantly white. Apparently, that's like yeah. yeah, I all right. I am white. There, I'm generally European in all ways. You know, like I think there's the blood of all running through me. So uh, that's my excuse to be a little jerky towards the Italians. Long story short, if you're interested in this story and this most recent update, because it is still developing right now, but the running theory now is that either these other accounts are being operated by multiple people, like Colangelo will use it and his wife will use it, or this is actually Brian Colangelo's wife tweeting out defending him, and he didn't know about it. And that's what makes the shit like, these shirts are fine, stop making fun of this guy. That's what makes him even funnier and like kind of sweet. If his 77-year-old wife is on these secret Twitter accounts defending the way her husband dresses, it's and like following his, their son's basketball games at the University of Chicago tweeting like play better defense you guys got this I believe in you it's like it still ruins his career but it's it's just such a crazy wrinkle I was I was having the time of my life literally right. minutes before we started recording just following all this on Twitter it's just it's such an insane story it's well, so I'm insane. gonna go I'm gonna go from being a little racist to being a little ageist and saying who the fuck are these 77 year olds who know how to work Twitter I've never met one of these people they, people could figure it out. People they could figure it out, but like I, I'm, I'm just saying from the grandmas I've met. I used to work tech services. This is maybe so. Maybe I'm biased. I used to fix computers for elderly people when I worked in retail, and that meant I talked to a lot of old people who didn't know anything about computers, which is a very frustrating job. Let me tell you. And so when I hear that there's someone in their high seventies who are not only on Twitter but like secretly on Twitter, and they have like shadow accounts. And that they're like following their husband, and like how, and the husband doesn't know. How does how does he not know? Does he she not like knows? Okay, he, he has I'm, to I'm know, assuming right? He knows. Okay. I mean, well, if he doesn't know, he immediately. So when the ringer goes to the seventy sixers and say we have this information about these two Twitter accounts, and fifteen minutes later the other three go private, that means they immediately approach Colangelo, and either he shut them down because he knows about him directly and uses him, or he told his wife and said. They're on to us, and like they immediately went private. That's just the only. That's the only possible explanation, especially when you factor in the email clues and the phone number clues, and just the types of people they follow and the things they tweet. Also, the other kind of a bummer thing to make it a little more depressing is uh, a lot of the likes and the responses that are not basketball related are kind of like all lives matter. Don't make everything about race like these types of politically charged comments which are kind of a bummer but let's focus on the basketball side of things right now i think i think it's totally feasible that one or both of them were using the accounts because she's not your average 77 year old lady i mean she's a globe trotting super rich woman who true who works who or who is tangentially related to like the hippest sport in the world you know yeah she probably spends a lot of time hanging out with 25 year old athletes and 
their friends and stuff like that, even just in a social setting at different points, you know? Like, this is a very yeah. connected guy. So, I mean, at oh, yeah. this point, he's he's confirmed one of the five, the only of the five Twitter accounts that doesn't actually post anything, but has, like, liked stuff and retweeted stuff, I believe. Yeah, um, this this guy, he's he's in a lot of trouble, and I want to... He's fucked. Yeah. He's you so know fucked. Who, you know who else is fucked this week? Yeah. Roseanne got fucked. Roseanne is done. Well, first of all, I think we have to turn it into a teaching moment. I'm fine. I'm worried about all the people out there who don't have a circle of friends and followers who come right to their defense. The person who's walking down the street minding their own business and they see somebody cling to their purse or want to cross the street. Or every black parent I know who has a boy who has to sit down and have a conversation, the talk, as we call it. And those, as you say, those ordinary... Um, examples of racism that happen every single day. And I think that's why I'm so glad to be here this evening talking with all of you. I can't believe I would have never predicted that, A, when we were starting a podcast, we would have been talking about the return of Roseanne in an early episode. And B, that no less than seven weeks later, we would be talking about the cancellation of the biggest show on television. It's ABC's insane. biggest scripted show in 24 years. It's insane. And it no longer exists. Because of the tweet to Valerie Jarrett, a senior advisor to Barack Obama throughout his presidency. She's a, a very public face uh, throughout the time period that he's in office. She's one of his most well-known aides. She's been on TV defending him. She's been on TV since. She's on TV a lot now. And Roseanne Barr, who has tweeted out many horrible things. That's one of the other parts of the story that's kind of coming out now and more people are kind of pushing against it saying hey we kind of already knew that Roseanne was a vicious racist because she's made comments like this before but uh, on 5:28:18 at 11:45 p.m. she de- she decided to tweet out Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes had a baby equals VJ which uh, Valerie Jarrett and it's just that tweet, and I think combined with some other tweets that she sent, because she sent something to Chelsea Clinton about burning Jews. I don't. That was a weird tweet. She she had a series of tweets, but this one specifically, the Planet of the Apes had a baby comment, was what really really took her down. And ABC within, I heard about the I heard about the tweet, and I would say that within two hours within two hours the show was canceled i started seeing articles being posted abc released a statement and said this is repugnant abhorrent doesn't meet our values and we are canceling roseanne the show is done because before they officially announced the cancellation there was time for people on social media to media to react and wanda sykes officially announced on twitter she was leaving roseanne right before they canceled it and there were calls to, you know, John Goodman and Laurie Metcalf, like, you guys got to say something and condemn this or leave the show because this is awful. And then, you know, that all became moot because ABC said, fuck you, Roseanne, we're out. We're out of the Roseanne business. Yeah, and everyone, I, I this is what I said. My initial reaction was obviously that it was a smart business move because obviously a show like or a channel like ABC, which is a family channel, it's network, they have sponsors that they have to please that are far more important than Roseanne. Those sponsors are you know what pay the bills. So those sponsors were about to with if they didn't pull the plug within a period of hours throughout that day and the rest of this week, they would have been inundated with attacks and questions about how can you support this show? What does it say? And then John Goodman, Lori Metcalf, everyone of that everyone involved with that show would have been asked about it for it would have been 
a scarlet letter on the cast for a little while. I mean, thankfully, I guess the show was pretty close to ending its series, the season finale. So I think they would have been able to kind of dip out of the light for a little while. But I mean, it, it was going to be a problem had they not cut the cord really quick. And it should be noted that the president of ABC, Channing Dungy or Dungy, I'm not actually sure how to pronounce it. I'm sure I just butchered it. I'm very sorry. Uh, she, it should be noted, is a woman of color. And, you know, I'm sure that she took it very personally. And I'm sure uh, that doesn't look good when you're Roseanne. You can't do this shit anymore. Like, it's, I mean, I guess you can. I, I say that, but whatever. Because, you know, look at our president. But, yeah, it's nice to know that there is an element of you can't do this shit anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of reactions either way. Obviously, uh, most people, except for a certain section of the right, are, um, I don't know if happy is the right word, but f- are, find it completely justifiable that she lost her show um, over the thing she of said. Of the right? You mean of the, of the left? I, but... I said with the exception of a certain segment of the right. Oh, are, oh sorry. Yeah. Are to- feel that the, the move to cancel her show and basically fire her from ABC was totally justified. Um, yeah, and she has said some horrible shit before. I guess the difference here is this is so abjectly racist. You cannot, I mean, when you compare a black woman to an ape, you're just, that's like, that's like page one of the racist handbook. There's really no way to, to spin that in another way. And to, I don't want to say to Roseanne's credit, Jesus Christ, but at least she did come out today and say she made a plea to people who are trying to defend her saying, don't support me. What I said was horrible and stop trying to justify it. It was a mistake. I shouldn't have done it, and I regret it. So at, uh, least, she, at least she came out and said No, that. no, 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 no. Because she's back. She's totally, like, peddled all that back in the time since. She apologized, but basically after she apologized, spent the remaining of the remaining hours of the night being up all night retweeting defenses of her and a lot of whataboutisms. And, uh, you know, she's doubled down, basically, on... She, she hasn't taken back the apology, but she has basically just justified herself to all hell and basically you know it's been like i'm it was a movie reference you know like shit like that it's like come on we know what you meant don't play stupid okay um, i didn't know that i thought yeah she, she just said, no she is she's returned to twitter after saying you know what she's saying i'm leaving twitter i'm sorry but then she came back shortly thereafter roseanne i think she, i think she's a little sick right now and that's what i saw from like jimmy kimmel who i guess is friends with her or something he said i know it's really easy uh you know to attack her right now but i think she's it's clear that she's very sick and needs help and i think that might be some people's perspective on it i know that robert Iger tweeted out from channing dungy or dungy or i'm sorry president of abc entertainment roseanne's twitter statement is abhorrent repugnant and inconsistent with our values and we have decided to cancel her show there was only one thing to do here and that was the right thing yeah, I mean, I think it was the right thing. I think it was a smart business move. I Absolutely see some. Right thing. Yeah, I, I see from my my Google searching that the Hollywood Reporter has an opinion. ABC deserves zero points for a Roseanne cancellation. I will assume based solely on that headline. I mean, maybe that's bad of me, but I'm going to assume that opinion has something to do with the fact that we knew that Roseanne was a racist beforehand, and ABC probably knew what they were getting into when they hired her again. You know, she, like she had made some comments well before the. Oh yeah, uh, the return yeah, she's of the show. So shit for years, and, and yes. not, not just recently in the post-Trump world. Yeah, that's Trump why it's president. kind of I like mean, you can you can track back to 2013, and she was saying similar shit about Susan Rice. You know, like she's been 
She's been terrible for a long time at this point. You know what's weird about the the idea that she may be sick or in need of some type of help, that she may have some mental health issues, which, if true, is sad. I don't wish that on anybody. But yeah. um, a, lot of, a lot of the shit she's saying doesn't sound that different from a lot of the extreme far right and all right. Like the, the conspiracy theory shit that she peddles. Even guys like Bill Mitchell on Twitter... Uh, in a tweet that he has since deleted shortly after because, holy shit, what a spin you're trying to put but, on. But thankfully, tweets live forever. He, you know this tweet then? Yeah, yeah, I've seen the tweet, but it's so great. So Bill Mitchell, to her defense, said, I've seen Planet of the Apes, and in that movie, it's an alternate reality where the apes are the advanced species. So I don't get why calling a person a superior being is somehow racist. Like, what am I missing here? And like, Bill, don't you want to? You just really, I just, you're missing everything, buddy. I want to sit with <laughs> these people and I want to look them in the eye and I really just want to be like, do you, you, do you believe that? Like, do you really believe that? I remember, I don't, I won't say her name. I, there was an intern at my at my office and we were talking. This was shortly after uh, the the Super Bowl, and she was like, "Oh, that was rigged," and she was telling me that she gen- how she thought the Super Bowl the ending was rigged. And I was like, what are you talking about? Tom Brady, you know, when Tom Brady came back and won, she was like, no, that was, they, they planned for that to happen. And I was like, do you have any idea the number of people, the amount of money and the like sheer amount of power it would take to rig the Super Bowl with like get entire teams involved and like family members involved and agents and scorekeeper, whatever the, the thing is like. Do you have any idea how hard that would be? And like, you believe that that is more possible than the greatest player, the greatest quarterback of all time, who's known for fourth quarter comeback, had a great fourth quarter comeback like that. It's just like mind boggling. There are people who like view the world in such a crazy conspiracy laden, uh, you know, view set that it's just like, I don't understand what you're looking at here, but like, I, I don't see it. Phil and I were texting the other day because I overheard this unfortunate conversation two nights ago. Uh, Two guys were talking, and one of them just happened to mention that he thought the moon landing was fake and that the human race has never actually been to outer space. And his friend, who is incredibly patient, I give this guy a lot of credit, said, what do you think of Elon Musk and what he's doing right now? And the guy said, who? And the guy, his friend responded, Elon Musk, you know, SpaceX, Tesla, And the guy said, I don't know who that is, but all I know is whenever they show videos of people up in space, it's always edited. You see them leave, and then suddenly you see them in space because they can't show the trajectory into space. He did not use the word trajectory, obviously. I'm implanting that into this conversation. This is also not true. NASA does like extensive live feeds all the time. As did Elon Musk when he launched a car into space earlier this year. Yeah, like a very live, very boring. Uh, yeah, no one. Wa- yeah, the fact that no one watches them does not mean they do not exist. And this guy also thought that the Earth was flat because why doesn't water just spin off from the equator? And why would it take as long to leave the planet and go into space as it would to get back in? If gravity why wouldn't existed? water spill off the sides of the flat Earth? Dude, don't don't try to reason. Uh, this is the the <laughs> point is uh, with shit like that and with stuff like the Seth Rich and Pizzagate conspiracy theories. These people, there are people out there who have managed to delude themselves into believing this bullshit that comes from 
crazy YouTube videos that are full of falsities and not researched and not verified by anybody. And the, the way information is disseminated now, it's, it's funny when it's shit like Roseanne gets herself fired because she's just too stupid to keep her fucking mouth shut. Or this guy sitting outside talking about <laughs> that the earth is flat and we've never been to space because there are edits and videos and, but it also gets dangerous when you look at how the president of the United States is one of these people and no one, it seems like so, so many people just don't care where their information comes from anymore. They don't care where they get it, how it's reviewed. That's why this Brian Colangelo story was so pleasant to read beyond the story itself because it was an article that appeared in print that you had to read that took 15 minutes to read that was actually research that came with evidence that was patiently executed in ways that you just don't see that much anymore and yeah Roseanne go fuck yourself we re-reviewed our show and we really I think gave it the benefit of the doubt and we talked at the time in that episode about what an important personality Roseanne Barr is, but that the show itself was maybe doing a positive thing in the country if it was able to open and entertain a conversation from both sides of the political spectrum in a way that you could use entertainment to maybe open up some ears, hearts and minds, whatever. Um, but then she does a story about her Muslim neighbors are terrorists, and then she tweets all this stuff, and it's yeah, she's got to go. It's time for her to go. Yeah, good riddance. We'll see you. And I mean, she not only is she gone, man. They like fucking. She's off a of Hulu. They already they took her down from the ABC website. Like they didn't just cancel her. They removed her entire like carbon footprint. The new Hollywood thing, man. You get erased now if you fuck up. You get erased. Louis C.K. You cannot find him on Netflix. Kevin Spacey was literally erased from all the money in the world. You just, it's a new era. I think, uh, I think people are so, so many people are so frustrated with what's going on in the world that any chance they can get to just unleash punishment on a bad person, they're going to do it because all this shit happens and Donald Trump is still the president. <laughs> yeah. And people are fine with his rhetoric and, I mean, they're not fine with it, but it's just nothing's happening yet. But anyway, that's enough. I don't want to get too deep into that. Yeah, and, and not to contra- not to contradict you too much, my friend, but Louis C.K.'s stand up is still on Netflix. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of uh, FX, not on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Netflix, I've because I've all, actually whenever I'm uh, searching through Netflix, I'm always a little shocked that it's still there. I see it, I'm like, oh, how long is this going to be here for? You're right. I apologize. Yeah. I meant uh, that FX got rid of his show. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, but yeah, definitely, he still has definitely been uh minimized in the you know popcorn the no one associated with him wanted to be bringing him up for a little bit they're like let's let this rest never have i been locked up in a world of misery i need you darling to set me free come back baby try me one more time oh baby i'm about to go out of my who else got the luxury to drop when he want? Cause nobody else could fuck with me. What a show off. Nigga, wrist for wrist. Let's have a glow off. Fuck it, brick for brick. Let's have a blow off. 
Moving on, you know, we, we wanted to talk about some of the other things that are happening in pop culture. That was one of the bigger things this week. It's still an ongoing thing. But the big news in the uh, hip-hop world this week is I wanted to talk about Pusha T anyway. I don't know. Have you listened to Pusha's new album? I have. Oh, you have? All right. Well, it's really quick. It's not hard to do. It's only seven. 21 minutes. It's 21 minutes long. It's seven tracks. I love it. I was going to talk about it anyway. And I was on like probably just a recommendations kind of way. Just to be like, hey, everyone, just so you know, King Push came out with a new album. You should check it out. It's real quick, like almost EP basically. But then suddenly there's a song on the album called Infrared. And Infrared, there's a slight, a slight, uh, Drake diss in there. Uh, it's mostly in reference to ghostwriting. The game's fucked up. Niggas beats is banging. Nigga, your hooks did it. The lyric pinning equal to Trump's winning. The bigger question is how the Russians did it. It was written like Nas, but it came from Quentin. At the mercy of a game where the codes is missing. When the CEO's blinded by the glow is different. Believe in myself and the codes and Kendricks. Let the sock puppets play and they rose and gimmick shit. Remember Will Smith won the first Grammy and they ain't even recognize Hove until Annie. So Drake comes back with this song called Duppy Freestyle in which I actually, I mean, it's been, it's going to depend on each person. Have you listened to Duppy Freestyle? Yes. I didn't, I don't like Duppy Freestyle. It's the kind of battle rapping that I don't necessarily like. And because the thing is, and I think most people would acknowledge this. These are rarely good songs. You know, they're usually just like, give me a beat. I'm just going to talk shit to this person for three minutes and that's it. And that's really all these tracks are. But Duppy Freestyle, the Drake track, calls out Pusha's fiance by name in the song. And uh, for Pusha, that was going over the line. And he immediately dropped uh, last night. So today is Thursday, the 31st. And last night, Pusha dropped a new song. And the song is called The Story of Adidon, which is a... The, the Adidon is the name of Drake's, I guess, quote-unquote, illegitimate son with a porn star. And it no, is all, that's not correct. That's, oh, that's what I, I... I read that, but I also know that it is the name of his shoe line. Yes. That is coming out. Are you sure? I mean, I really... I'm pretty sure I read that that's well, also... Well, in, in Adidon, it says Adonis is your son. Okay, so maybe... He deserves more than an Adidas press run. Well, well, maybe I th- it is added on. I think. Well, maybe. I think maybe his son's name is he, he either added on and he named the shoe after him, or the, he has a very similar name. It's some, there's some there's something okay. related to the shoe because that was part of what I was reading about uh, that I'll get into is that so the story of added on is this complete takedown of Drake on and on multiple fronts from Pusha, and it's very personal and kind of ugly in certain ways. The album cover itself is an old 2007 picture of Drake with his arms kind of shrugged up. He's in a bright green shirt, and he's wearing very black blackface. He's you know got the very thick coat of blackface on his face, and he's smiling with the big giant red lip paint, and you know, it, and he's kind of just got this giant smile. And then they're kind of in cartoon lettering. You have the the story of Adidon on there, and. You know, so that was already this huge thing because Drake's his light skin and his race is always kind of and his uh, streetness is always being called into question. So this was like already just on the cover, a very vicious kind of attack on Drake. So from there, the song proceeds to talk about how Drake's dad left him when he was five. Talks about how his mother never got married. Talks about 
uh, you know, how he's has ghost writers, talks about how he doesn't take care of his son, talks about how he's ashamed of this porn star girl he got pregnant. He like just goes after everything. It's the most it's the most vicious diss track I have ever heard in my life. Drug dealing aside, goose right in the side. Let's have a heart to heart about your pride. Even though you're multi, I see that your soul don't look alive. The M's count different when baby divides the pie. Wait, let's examine why. Your music for the past few years been angry and full of lies. I started at the home front, I'm on one. Dennis Graham, stay off the gram, bitch, I'm on one. You mentioned wedding ring like it's a bad thing. Your father walked away at five, hell of a dad thing. Marriage is something that Sandy never had. Drake, how you a winner, but she keep coming in last place. Monkey suit, Dennis, you parade him. A Steve Harvey suit, nigga made him. Confused, always felt you weren't black enough. Afraid to grow it because your fro wouldn't nap enough. There's been attacks on Drake before, but the thing is, I think they've none of them have bounced off of him in a way because, or none of them have stuck to him in a way because everyone knows that Drake was on a TV show when he was younger. Everyone knows that he's not some like street hoodlum who was like that. That's not what people like about Drake. They like that he's like a safe mainstream pop artist who's basically has some rap skill, has some singing skill, and has great production on a number of tracks. Like that's what people like about Drake. They don't need him to be like street authentic. So I think that's why a lot of this hasn't stuck, but this is going after not only his like kind of racial identity, it's going after his family. It's going after it's it's telling secrets out of school basically about like, you know, because he know he you know he's friends with people who know Drake. He knows things that, you know, only insider people in the industry would know about. And he, you know, to be dropping this stuff so publicly is just unheard of. It's it's truly insane. I mean, to go back to the beginning, yeah. They, they've had a beef for a while. I'm not super knowledgeable about it, to be honest with you. But I have been obsessed with this, particularly the story of Adidon or Adidon uh, over the past 24 hours. I cannot get over how how brutal it fucking is to Drake. It is so, so... I mean, if the child thing is true, he, he drops such a major bomb that you just do not see in tracks like this in hip-hop. I mean, you have occasionally, uh, you've had stuff like Tupac bringing up Prodigy's sickle cell uh, anemia before, but Pusha T mentions Noah Shabib, who's Drake's producer, um, like one of the founders of OVO, talking about his multiple sclerosis and... How he's hunched over looking like he 80, tick, tick, tick. How much time he got, that man is 666 or 666. Like, that is insane. Yeah. That is so fucking crazy. I mean, I mean oh, God. I mean, we're going to play some of it. I don't Yeah, no, yeah, I'll definitely. A lot of the lyrics. It starts with drug dealing aside, which, you know, Pusha T, for those who don't know, his he's a really talented rapper, actually. He's got great flow. He's got really creative, clever wordplay, and most of his career has been rapping about his time as a coke and crack dealer, which he was for a while, and he still raps about it. He glorifies it. He's very open about it, so that's been a lot of the criticism aimed at him. Um, he's he's more of a, uh, what he likes to say is he's your rapper's favorite rapper. Like He hasn't hit the mainstream like Drake, but... Um, He's got a lot of respect in the industry. Yeah, I was going to say, like, we're, and he's not very, I was talking to people at work 
who consider themselves rap fans and they're just like, uh, I don't I don't really know this guy. And I'm kind of I'm I guess that says something about me that I was like, oh, I've followed him for years now. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a really talented rapper. A, l- a lot of his criticism is about the content of his work, you know, that he's just focused on this drug dealing shit, which is a little played out in the rap game. Now it's not like the focus anymore. Um, and what he criticized Drake for is that Drake relies on ghostwriters to handle a lot of his shit. So the story of Adidon opens with drug dealing aside, ghostwriting aside, let's have a heart to heart about your pride. Even though you're multi, I see that your soul don't look alive. And that's just, it's immediately just laying down. Like I'm going to get real. Like I'm not playing anymore. This is not just a fucking back and forth about how, I'm richer than you or that I'm a better rapper than you. It is, we're going to go deep and I'm going to try to break your soul. Yeah. And that's kind of what he does, man. Like as of right now, I think as we were recording this, actually Drake tweeted something out or posted it on Instagram, a message just about the blackface photo, which is real. He's confirmed that. Yeah. I saw his, yeah, I was going to read. Do you have it in front of you? Uh, yeah, I can, I have it. it I have it right. I can Uh, read it. I know everyone is enjoying the circus, but I want to clarify this image in in question. This was not from a clothing brand shoot or my music career. This picture is from 2007, a time in my life where I was an actor and I was working on a project that was about young black actors struggling to get roles, being stereotyped and typecast. The photos were represented how African-Americans were once wrongfully portrayed in entertainment. Me and my best friend at the time who is also an actor from Sudan, were attempting to use our voice to bring awareness to the issue we dealt with all the time as black actors as black actors at auditions. This was to highlight and raise our frustrations with not getting a fair chance in the industry and to make a point that the struggle for black actors had not changed much. So he's, you know, he's giving some context to the photo, which obviously sounds correct. I don't, I, I'm not going to do some research to see if he's lying, but you know, that, that makes sense. And he was certainly an actor. That's what we already said. We already know that about him, but yeah, this is just like a vicious teardown. If also for no other reason that by naming the song, what he named it, whenever someone goes to Google Drake's shoe line that he has coming out, they're going to get the Drake diss track. You know, like that's, you know, like he's really like almost spoiled that name for Drake. So like that. He yeah. ruined it. He so like it. That, not only that, but like I just typed in into Google Pusha T Drake and Vulture is posted. Here's the alleged mother of Drake's secret baby, according to Pusha T. And there's pictures of this woman. And, you know, it's just like this is blown up and really fucked with Drake's life. This is not just like a a track that came out saying like, hey, man, you suck. This is like, no, fuck you. This is personal. And I'm sure something else is going to happen. I'm sure Drake will respond within the next several days, you know. But I also, you know, the thing is, though, and this is just, you know, rap nerds talking, but Push is just a far and away better rapper than drake will ever be in terms of just like in terms of just technical flow and like his ability to play with words and everything like he's just a better that's why drake uses ghostwriters and i don't actually i don't have a problem with that because i think nice for what there's a chance that's my favorite song of the year so far man i fucking love that song and i'm not the world's big i i was gonna say uh, I, i i agree with you i'm not i'm honestly not a drake fan um i've never liked any of his singles I have not seeked him out for that reason, just because nothing has ever really hit me except Nice For What. I heard that, and I totally, I dig it. I agree with you. I'm a very, very uh, off and on fan of Drake. I liked him early on. I liked uh, a lot of songs off Take Care, and then I kind of gave up on him for a while. But, you know, like, 
I hear one dance, you know, it kind of makes me want to wiggle my hips a little bit. I'm not totally against Drake. I think he's fun and has his place. I just don't take him like very, you know. But it's never it's never been because of his flow. Like even nice for what? It it's just such has a, beat. a beat. Oh my god. Yeah, the beat is incredible. It's it's unreal. Like it makes you want to move. Everybody get your motherfucking roll on. I know shorty and she doesn't want no slow song. Had a man last year, life goes on. Haven't let the thing lose, girl, it's so long. You been inside, know you like to lay low. I've been people what you bring into the table. Working hard, girl, everything paid for. First, last phone, bill, car, no cable. With your phone out, gotta hit them angles. With your phone out, snapping like you Fabo. And you showing off, but it's alright. And you showing off. It's such a good track, and that's a big part of Push's diss, is that he's basically like, your flow got you where you were. You know, you're just, you're a sock puppet. Hi, guys. So... (laughs) Two episodes in a row with technical difficulties. This time it was my fault. My recording cut off, and I don't think I noticed it until uh, we lost, like, I don't know, several minutes of that Push T conversation. So I'm just going to jump in. I know. So I embarrassing. Can't... It's so embarrassing. We're just so unprofessional. This is not why Podcast Incorporated pays us all this money, Phil. We got to be is, better. This is why our faithful listeners should send us money so we can hire somebody to produce us. And will maybe make us better instead of little me producing it. If all fourteen people who rated us five stars, myself included, uh, send us five thousand dollars, yeah, five thousand dollars, that'll cover a top-notch audio engineer for the calendar year. Hell yeah, we can do it. Send it. Send us money, guys. I'll just send it privately. Send it in envelopes. Send it cash check. However cash only in an envelope. No stamps. And there better not be fucking tidy whities in that suitcase is all I have to say. So the last thing I know I did get was uh, defending Jake, Jake, Dwayne and Jake. Defending Drake's. They're not going to know about that. They're not going to know about the Dwayne conversation. Dwayne may not have made it in. Uh, I called little baby Dwayne, Dwayne. Dwayne played with the Dwayne. Yeah. Drake having a right to defend himself for the uh, blackface photo. His response to the blackface photo, we talked about. We were talking about that, I believe, when we got cut off. So, yeah, we talked about that. We talked about Meek Mill's connection, the length, how long the beef has gone back. We talked about how much it screwed up Drake's uh, personal life. We talked about how it was probably over the line for Pusha. We we agreed yeah, on that. Long That's what story we agreed short, on. Yeah, the story of Adidon is totally over the line, but it's also amazing. Um, yeah. And we're and, and we're and we're both kind of bigger pusher pusher fans than Drake. So Pusha T is a way better rapper. Uh, yeah. If you haven't listened to him, definitely check out Daytona. It's a good album. It's literally twenty one minutes. It's the length of an episode of Seinfeld. You can listen to it really quickly. He's a fun, talented rapper who's fun to really dive into his lyrics and try to understand what he's saying because there's a lot going on. Unlike Drake, who uh, is just kind of a party rapper dude. That's like his shtick. Yeah. But, He's fine at parties. This is a really... We had to talk about it because it's a really intense diss track. Probably the meanest I've ever heard. When you insult your enemy's best friend for having multiple sclerosis, you're crossing a line, for sure. And you're calling out the fact that he has an illegitimate child with a porn star. 
uh, a fact that apparently was not known to anyone except Drake's inner circle, if it's even true, which knowing Pusha T, I feel like it's probably true. But yeah, yeah, long story short, it's crazy. Uh, Go listen to Infrared, then listen to Drake's response, then listen to the story of Adidon, which... There's no way Adidas and Drake are still going to call that partnership Adidon. It's just over. Push yeah, because anytime anyone Googles that, yeah, they're going to get the diss track. And it's just, that's part, and, that, and we explained that that's part of why it was such an incredible diss track, diss track in terms of like being a personal attack, a professional attack. It legitimately screws up branding for Drake. And he has to, he's taken to social media to like make serious responses to like the blackface and stuff. Like it's been a very personal attack on him that he's actually genuinely had to kind of reckon with. So we'll Which see. Which in an interesting way is kind of what Pusha T was criticizing Drake for in part of being kind of like basically being a sock puppet. Like I just said before we got cut off, like he's a, the ghostwriting was the initial jab thrown in this latest spat. And the idea behind it is Pusha T thinks he's a real rapper and that Drake isn't. And that Drake is a tool for the masses. And Pusha T, for all of his faults, um, for all of his drug dealing, which he glorifies, but he is a well-known coke and crack dealer, or he was. Pusha T at least owns it. And he, his his argument is basically, you may win the Grammys just like Jay-Z did, even though guys like Rick Ross has never won one, guys like Jay Z never won until he covered. Will. Remember how Will Smith won the Grammy? Yeah, did, did I not say Will Smith? You did, but I think that probably got deleted. So oh, okay, yeah, the idea that like you may win Grammys like Will Smith and DJ Jesse Jeff and guys like Jay Z aren't going to get acknowledged until they cover a Broadway musical. Um, but I'm not worried about that because I'm going to keep it real, and you are not real. You're not even really black because you have this insecurity about your racial identity which ties into the blackface photo and the idea that um drake is just at odds with himself basically and it's a really personal hate-filled way over the line diss track that's incredible to listen to yeah all right so moving on from there tom let's talk star wars You're after something. Is it revenge? Money? Or is it something else? You look good. A little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together crew. I'm a driver, and I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? Tom, I know that you went the other night. It is currently Thursday, uh, the week after this movie came out. I saw it Friday afternoon. You saw it, I think, what, Tuesday or Monday night? Something like that. I think Monday. Yeah, something like that. So tell me. We have not discussed it. I have an idea of what you think and what you, I think you know what I think, but what did you think of Star Wars? Or I did, ugh, Jesus, Solo, a Star Wars story. I would call it a Solo, a Star Wars fan service story. That's all it is. I agree with you completely. I, I will say for people who have listened to the podcast, people know that I, I love a good, bad movie. I can tolerate a lot when it comes to watching movies because that's what I love to do. 
And honestly, my expectations for Solo weren't very high. I didn't think it looked great. I thought it was too soon after The Last Jedi to have another Star Wars. I don't want the Star Wars universe, which I hold near and dear to my heart, to become a product of burnout where I can't get excited for Star Wars and we're already here with Solo. The reviews weren't great. I, I, I just was going in not expecting a lot, and that's what I got. There are certain things that I liked about it, um, certain performances I enjoyed, certain set pieces I enjoyed, but this movie is everything that The Last Jedi is not. It's just catering to the lowest common denominator and constantly winking at the audience in the dumbest fucking way. And the thing I have so little patience for in stories like this, an origin story about a huge piece of movie culture is to knowingly nod at the crowd while you're making the movie. Like, ah, see, you were waiting for that moment, huh? I mean, did we need to know exactly how Han got the name Solo? Oh, or did one we... of that, all right. That, don't, all right. I don't even know I where to start. I, I want to, this is a series of tweets I wrote to a, so I had, I have a buddy who loved Solo and hated The Last Jedi. Oh, and oh. before I saw Solo, I already, th- I mean, me and this guy have gone back and forth many times over his awful taste of movies. But this was the, tweet I sent him or the text I sent him after seeing it which scene was your favorite officer Han huh what's your family name Han I don't have family officer well then let's go with officer looks at camera Han Solo officer winks Han Uno Han Chewbacca huh we're gonna need to give you a nickname Han looks at the camera and winks or fucking Daenerys Targaryen Han you don't realize you're the good guy. She looks at the camera and winks. Or how about this one? A rebel says, Han, help us. Join the fight. Han responds, I don't think so. The rebel says, maybe one day you'll change your mind. And then the rebel looks at the camera and fucking winks. Because that's all this movie was. It was just a series of scenes like that. And it was or what about... No, it, dude, it's even worse. It's even worse than that. It's because... It's not only that. It's... Han is... I mean, the, the, the scene where the... What you just said, the solo scene where he gets his name. That, I almost fucking booed in the theater. I was so just like, give me a break. This is not at all. That was, it's somewhat early in the movie. And although it wasn't, a, I wasn't totally out of the, I wasn't jumping ship yet. That was definitely a, a bad moment for me where I was like, oh, I'm not on board with this at all right now. Like this is really not doing what I wanted to do. And like you said about it being like the complete antithesis of The Last Jedi, could not agree more. This is exactly what The Last Jedi was saying we needed to get away from to continue this series to move forward. And yeah, like you said, the, it goes worse than just like telling you that, hey, you know who Han Solo is and what he's going to grow up to be, wink, wink. It's like, hey, do you know how Han Solo got his blaster? Hey, do you know why he started wearing a vest? Like, ridiculous things. This movie is nothing but answers to questions that nobody had. And and not only that, it's just... I, I've, seen a, I've seen a good mixture of things. I know that it got mixed reviews, but I've seen a large portion of film Twitter being like, hey, I think that movie's kind of fun. And I am just kind of sitting over here baffled because I can say, I think definitively at this point, that this is my least favorite of the Star Wars films. Like, full stop. I will take any of the prequels over this at this point. Like, this is, for me, the lowest point of the Star Wars series. And I also, I guess I just want to make something clear, is that I'm not saying this out of some nerd rage about, like, 
they didn't do some they didn't that's not my han solo up there like i could not give a shit about that aspect of fandom especially star wars fandom i'm not that guy i am very i'm much more upset with lazy screenwriting like i'm genuinely confused i understand that bradford young is a very talented cinematographer who has shot some beautiful stuff before but i thought that this movie was ugly to look at painfully ugly and too, way too dark. I also probably saw it at a shitty theater that projected it too dark. Yeah, I know you oh. had this complaint, and I gotta say, it wasn't stunning or anything like that, but I actually thought it looked pretty good. I thought there were a lot of details in the darkness that I enjoyed. I, so, I was watching the Mild first, disagreement with you there. I would, like, especially the opening, man. Like, the first 15 minutes, and I realized, like, it's supposed to be dark. They're underground. Like, I get that that's part of it. But for me... I'm watching it and I'm like, I get that this works for Arrival. This works for a most violent year. You know, like if you're Gordon Willis and you're doing The Godfather, like, yeah, you can light the, you can light as dark as you want. Like, I understand it as a choice. And I, you know, I think I've been clear on this podcast that I love art house cinema as much as I love big blockbuster cinema. And, you know, I view them, like you said, like you have different expectations for different things. And for me, I just don't think that Bradford Young's aesthetic is the right choice for this material like i just for me the two i think you also shot saw it at a shitty regal cinema i think probably. a lot of it was you you probably had a dim bulb projection which a lot of movie theaters especially chains do as a way to save money on electricity costs yeah because, because bulbs are bulbs are expensive and they dole over time and theater i truly, chains do I truly not keep think you saw yeah. i mean not that your opinion would do a 180 but i think you probably lost a lot of detail that's definitely there it's yeah, I saw it. It's a dark movie that I saw probably on a dark screen. Like but to be fair, a lot of people are going to be seeing like that. You know, uh, you know, not to the movie, that's not the movie's fault. That's the current state of modern theater going, unfortunately. But you know, a lot of people are going to be seeing this movie and there was whole sections in the first 15 minutes where I was like, I don't know what Alden Ehrenreich looks like in this movie yet. Like I haven't seen a clear shot of his face yet. And See, I didn't I didn't think that. So it must have been you must have just got unlucky with the place. Just don't go to shitty movie theaters anymore. Okay. Well, I mean, it's 10 minutes away, man. Um, That's no excuse. You're better than that. Well, I don't no, know. you're I better mean, than that. It's I'm solo. Not... It's playing in 4,000 screens. You're better than that, Phil. Yeah, but I would... Yeah, I anyway, mean, I'm not saying exactly. that I'm not, dri- I'm not driving in an... I would argue I'm not driving in like an hour for solo. Uh, for There's exact... only one Regal Cinema in an hour. There's nothing else around. No, there's tons of other movies. There's an AMC. There's, you know, Who there's multiple the other theaters. Well, you know, I'm just saying, like, I feel like you would probably have the exact same projection problems at many of these other theaters. I'm not saying all of them. I'm just I, saying, I like, saw it at an AMC. It looked great, I thought. I mean, the the movie itself, I have, I again, I didn't think it was stunningly shot, but the projection was clearly a lot better than yours because I didn't have those same problems. But I also, like, I, I think you probably you saw a tweet that I did. It was like, I also, it's sort of that yellow, brown, orange color palette. Like, it just... Kind of right. for me that that added to the ugliness and the murkiness of it. And I've I've I read an extensive interview with Brad for Young because I was I've heard so many people talk about how beautiful this movie is, and I was genuinely like, whoa! Like that was one of my biggest criticisms was I had a really big problem with how it looked. And reading his interview, like it all seemed very intentional, and like they they talked about he he said when he was with Lord and Miller, the movie they referenced constantly was Mrs. Uh, McCabe, McCabe, and, McCabe and, and yeah, I couldn't get McCabe out. McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which is for anyone who hasn't seen it, is a very murky, 
dirty looking movie, very brown, very dark, very hard to see at times, very underlit by candlelight. And they talked about Solo itself being a Western and being shot through that same kind of lens. Like they literally had like grease on the lens. Like that is a dirty, grimy looking movie. So like they talked about this is the look that they're going for for this movie. And for me, that's that's just not what I would have gone for. Like not necessarily as I don't mean that if I was directing the movie, I just mean like to my sensibility as a fan, I don't think that's necessarily the right choice, but we get uh, it. You didn't like how it looked. Okay. Okay. Fine. Let's talk about something else. I didn't like, um, like everything else. I literally, I, I, I walked out of the theater thinking like this was, this movie was fine. It has its moments. And like you, I can say there's sure there's a performance here and there that I like, but I, I think I was trying to convince myself of that. Like, I don't think, I don't think Woody Harrelson's bad, but I don't think he's given anything to do. I don't think, um, like, Thandie Newton killed off very early on and completely forgotten about, even though she was doing a pretty good job and I was liking her. Um, Alden yeah, Ehrenreich, her death was a surprise to me. It was a surprise, and then, like, they literally, like, I don't think Woody Harrelson mentions it again. No, he has that one scene where he mourns and punches Han, and then it's over, and it's like she never existed. Yeah, and then they never mention her again the rest of the movie. Yeah. And then... Uh, like you had there's some good comedic beats but like you then you start wondering like i didn't i actually i will admit i was not stuck in the headspace of like wondering what was ron howard and what was lord and miller uh going into this movie and like you i actually think i might have been more optimistic it sounds like than you going in like i was like i actually think ron howard if this is a strong script would probably do a great job with you know with the, the young actors he's a pro he, I know he can direct competently. Like he's done great space stuff. He's done big scale. Like I was not under the impression that Ron Howard was going to ruin this movie, and I, I don't think I necessarily think that Ron Howard is the reason behind it. Maybe some of those choices that uh, like he is behind is what I feel like gives the film a neutered feeling. But that, I, I would blame as much of that on Kathleen Kennedy, and a lot of it I would blame on the script. And I I think the script is almost a complete failure. So I don't have nearly as negative a view overall. Oh man, I like I'm, I have every single day that passes. I and I think about things from this movie. I get more and more upset. I, I really, really. I, like, I think it's come... not very good. I didn't hate it. It's starting. It sounds like you hate it. I just... what I, I I hated aspects of it, but again, those those scenes that I mocked, they're smaller moments, you know, in a much larger film. Even though it's more than just those lines of dialogue, which is the problem. Like, all right. To be the, fair. The to be fair. Movie, yeah, go ahead. To be fair, I I am I am not saying that the film is as bad as like, um, like Catwoman or something like that. You know, like some movie or that Attack you would. Of the clones. Or yeah, no. Attack, yes, here, Attack here's, of the Clones is worse. Here is the difference for me, and here is why I'm willing to say that I will take Attack of the Clones, which has long been my least favorite Star Wars movie since it came out. That has always been the least favorite. It has now been undercut or whatever, whatever, overruled by Solo. And here's the reason. is because even Attack of the Clones, if I had to think about my memories of it, there is an awesome battle at the end that I always loved, and there is still Ewan McGregor's performance, which I really love in that, that series, and there is still the Yoda fight which I still remember in the theater. That was the first time we'd ever seen Yoda do anything like that before, and I freaked the fuck out. This movie, as so I will give the movie that 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 has that going for it. The prequel, I think Phantom Menace has Darth Maul, which is awesome. We'll get to that with Solo, though. Um, has Darth Maul, which is awesome, and it has the Duel of the Fates, and it has the pod racing, and it has 
Liam Neeson, and I, like it has other good things going for it that I, that excite me that I think are awesome. Where in even Rogue One, Rogue One, I have a lot of problems with Rogue One, but especially the first hour. The second hour, I think I was very surprised, like in a, in an admirable way. I was like, oh wow, they're really going to go through with this being a suicide mission. They're actually going to kill everyone off. Like I did not see that coming. I'm very surprised that that's how dark they're willing to let this go. And I think that really raises the stakes for A New Hope. And it like really makes certain aspects of A New Hope better. Whereas this makes certain aspects of A New Hope very confused and and worse. It doesn't make any sense. And it's answer, like I said, answering things you didn't know you had questions about. Solo, one of the best things about Solo, I will say, is that it actually made me appreciate Rogue One more. Yeah, um, well, and what, what, do, r- really quickly, film. really quickly, I was sorry. I just, I was gonna say that Rogue One surprised me at the end, and it also had the Darth Vader scene where I squealed out of my chair and freaked out like every other fanboy in the world. Like I had never seen Vader do that, and I freaked out. And I guess like those moments, I at least have those moments that I can hold on to. And there was not a single moment of Solo that excited me or brought out the inner child in me. Or just like I hear, I've heard people say that they had a fun time with this movie, and I just didn't think it was fun. I thought it was kind of fun. I didn't, man. Like I was, it, it was a good. I mean, it had, it had good adventure movie pacing. Like they go to, a, in the way of like a James Bond movie, where they go to a lot of different locations, they travel the universe. I See, mean. This... I, I'm talking. In, okay, you've had your nerd rage for 15 minutes. Okay. Just I, have, on, I, I warned you. I warned you. I had a I lot know. to say well, about this. Is this is by far the nerdiest and angriest you've been on this podcast so far? I really like, didn't like Hush either. I, yeah, no, but that was at least a fun back and forth. Because I don't really disagree with you that much here. I'm just not nearly as extreme about my dislike, I guess. Because I think ultimately where I stand is I think it was forgettable, but in the larger scope of things. I totally agree. It takes a, a huge step back from The Last Jedi. The The biggest issue I have with Solo, and it has to do... You can't um, separate it from The Last Jedi and what The Last Jedi is about, and a big reason why I think that movie is so great. The Last Jedi's mission was to get over this hero worship. The idea of, like, stop just idolizing these people like they're gods because you love them as you were kids like let's get back to trying to tell interesting stories with characters who were complex and flawed and this movie is just all about hero worship and catering to the most basic needs of fans who like who just who'd like need i need more han solo like they just can't do without it and it really had no desire to tell an interesting story i think in terms of character stuff, the most interesting thing it had going for it were the the two romantic relationships. You had Woody Harrelson and Tandy Newton, which ha- had a promising start and then disappeared, which whatever. They're side characters. But then you have Amelia Clark and Aiden... How do you, how do you pronounce his name? Alden Rich? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You had Aiden uh, Alden, 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 oh, Alden Aaron Rick. Or Alden Rich, sorry. Whatever. You had yeah. Han Solo. <laughs> And Amelia Clark, and they are these like, you know, basically the equivalent of like high school street heart, sweethearts, but living on the mean streets, which is an actual term used in the opening, like info dump that hated Han Solo the, hated, is living on yeah. the mean streets. But it had this kind of like cyberpunk Blade Runner feel that I kind of dug, and they have to separate, and he is sent to war. He actually fights for the Empire. And then uh, goes off on this rogue mission with 
Woody Harrelson and his band of misfits, right? That's that's my that is my favorite stretch of the movie. That was I was kind yeah, of getting back on board during that stretch, and then for me, when Amelia Clark showed back up, that's when I really started to fall off again. Well, the Amelia Clark storyline, though, I thought was promising because uh, that at least that was giving me hope. Like, okay, we're going to learn something about Han. Like, we're going to actually try to understand something new about Han and why, when we're introduced to him in A New Hope, he's this outlaw gunslinger type of dude who's only looking out for himself. Like, yeah. okay, t- tell me how his heart got broken and tell me, like, inform something new about him. They really don't do that. He basically, he ends the movie having the same type of arc that he had in the original trilogy, where he goes from this outlaw character to ultimately doing the right thing. And it's like, well, we already saw that, so why in A New Hope is he back to being this disillusioned... Exactly. Guy. Exactly. It's it, you. You're you're redoing his arc, and that's that's where the movie screwed up on a fundamental level. Yeah, this movie should end as a tragedy. Yeah, it should it should be dark. It should get really dark, like, and it doesn't. It tries to give you the happy ending while playing fan service, and that sucked about Solo. But yeah, I think in terms of especially compared to the the prequel trilogy, which is so they're so fundamentally bad and poorly made. This. This is a competent film by a competent director, and it hits familiar beats. So as a throwaway, if you separate it from the Star Wars universe, which I know is hard to do, but if you separate it from the Star Wars universe, it's just a whatever. Sure, the acting is better, the pacing is better. I can grant grant you that. And that's what I was saying in terms of like, this movie is not Catwoman or some of those early 90s comic book movies where you watch it and you're just like, I can't believe this was made by a major studio. Like, this is a but joke. But Attack of the Clones is Catwoman. It is that type of movie. I don't I, I don't know. I, I would think of it more as like, I guess I would compare like Jonah Hex or, you know, some movie like that where it like fell apart in production and they assembled some like 80 minute movie and that it was barely a movie and completely dumped. Like, it's not one of those, like, unwatchable pieces of shit. Like, I don't think that at all. I think the reason I'm so upset is, and, and this is going to sound crazy, but one, like you said, The Last Jedi kind of set up this, what I consider this mission statement for the Star Wars universe going forward that I thought was so inspiring and wonderful. Uh, and that's one of the most amazing parts of that movie and what I think is the, the coolest thing that Johnson could have brought to the Star Wars universe was this idea of like I have I know what we have to do to make this go on forever. It's like to truly do that. And and that means we have to let go of some of this other stuff that we've held on to. And so like that idea was probably still stuck in my head because it's hard for me it's hard to for, remember that Last Jedi was not that long ago, man. It was 5 months ago that that movie came out and it feels like a lifetime ago or something like we, so much processing of it has come and gone. It's already on Blu-ray. You know, so it's already in and out of theaters, and it feels like the turnaround time for movies and processing them is so much faster than it used to be. I, I just wanted to say, I think the reason I'm so upset is because I didn't want a Han Solo movie. I never wanted it, really. I I did like the idea of a Chewie adventure movie, like a Han Solo ch- and Chewie on an adventure. I was like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. I could I could be down for that. And then when they said Lord and Miller, and they ca- and they had Donald Glover cast, and they had Alden Ehrenreich cast, I was like, yeah, this is this is going to be good. Like I, I'm pretty excited for this. Obviously it had its production problems, but I thought Ron Howard was a decent choice compared to some other people that could have been chosen. So I was excited. And I think when I finally saw the movie, the reason I got so, I've been so mad recently has been because 
it has so many interesting pieces that excited me that I was like, oh, I'm on board for this. Or, oh, I like that idea. Or that idea kind of like gave me ideas about like what I would have rather have seen. And so like suddenly I'm like in my head, this, and this isn't the, necessarily the movie's fault, but it kind of like in my head, I start re rewriting like, oh, what would I have done? And I think something like, you like do you that said, all the fucking time. I well, you know, like sometimes, but like there's this like like you were saying early on, like oh, you know, it's got a fun energy to it. They bounce from planet to planet, and for me, I was like, yeah, I got kind of frustrated with that because I would have rather, and I understand that this is a studio movie that needs to have a lot of set pieces and a lot of action, but I still think there's a happy medium where you can slow this movie down at the beginning and spend some more time with them on their home planet and just spend like 10 or 15 more minutes and give it a little bit more breathing room and get to know their relationship before they leave the planet. And I feel like stuff like that would pay off much. The emotional stuff would pay off later. And I wish they would have just cut the second half down and just made it. They have to go steal this toxic chemical or this, this gas and then bring it back to this gangster. And it would have been like, maybe the second half is more like, uh, uh, sorcerer William Friedkin's film or something like that and it's just this like combustible thing that they have to get across the universe and it's a dangerous mission and of course along the way they encounter problems and like you learn some things about Han Han's betrayed or whatever by a woman whatever stuff would happen to him would happen I think that's like a simpler story but instead it's like you gotta go get the thing and then you gotta go get more of the thing and then you gotta go here and it, like it ha it's so busy and you have Sen to do the Kessel run that... Yeah, and it's so busy sending him places. Legend, yeah. yeah, it's so busy setting up where he has to go next and what he has to do that you don't actually, like, spend time with him as a character. So, like, you actually... Like, there was there were scenes where he's like, oh, yeah, you know, they kicked me out of the Flight Academy for having a mind of my own. I was like, I would have much rather have seen the Top Gun version of the Han Solo story or whatever. Like, show me Han in flight school. Show me him, like being kicked out. Like I there was just other versions of this movie that as I was watching it were kind of going through my head that I was like, "Oh man, there's so much opportunity here that maybe I did want a Han Solo movie. It's just not this one." And that's maybe why I'm extra angry or extra disappointed in it because like suddenly I see the potential in it. You're definitely angry. Yeah, very. I'm furious. I'm fuming. I mean, kind of. <laughs> anyway, of so all right, I'm not giving up on Star Wars. And the all right, here's my hot take though, by the way. Donald <laughs> Donald, this is my hot take that I feel like is as the most like that people are going to disagree with me on. Donald Glover is doing a very good job in the movie. He's given a shit role though. Like I, the they're going to make him want to fuck robots. That's the that's what they're going to do with Lando in this movie. I don't yeah, know. that that felt like a weird joke. You know what? The thing about Donald Glover too is, I was impressed uh, with his acting range a bit, but yeah. Um, his voice, it almost felt like he was trying too hard to sound like Billy D. Williams. Yeah, I, I mean, know. I, yeah, I'd have to, Billy D. Williams' persona doesn't, like, take over, you know, I don't have strong memories. No, but he sounds there. a lot he like. He sounds, yeah, you know, it's a great. He sounds a lot like Billy D. Williams in this movie. Yeah. A lot. It is crazy how similar he was able to get that voice down. But, yeah, he doesn't have a ton to do. He's kind of, I think they just probably... I don't know. Maybe they didn't quite know what they had with Donald Glover. I mean, timing-wise, if he had had a bigger role, I think that would have actually helped Solo a lot because it kind of bombed for a movie that made $90 million opening weekend. It was a solid $40 million below what they were expecting. I kind of feel like Donald Glover's performance, and same with Alden Ehrenreich at times, or Ehrenreich, whatever you, however you pronounce it. Like I feel like both of them were still 
they were cast for the Lord and Miller movie. Their care, and they were still in that character mode when they were in the Ron Howard movie. Yeah, I think I kind of gave up on, not gave up, but lost a lot of expectation that I may have had for it when Lord and Miller went away because that to me just said like, oh, okay, you are confining yourself to a certain type of movie. Which is even all the more impressive that Ryan Johnson was able to pull off what he pulled off with Last Jedi. Maybe just with these one-off uh, franchise films. So, like, look, we, we're just going to stick to a formula. This is just a way to finance the bigger Star Wars movies and put some money in our pocket. Because it, it was very rote and by the numbers. I will say, uh, one very pleasant surprise, there was a Lovecraft monster in this movie, which I dug. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed the design while also being like, this is the Castle Run, this is what we're doing for that? Okay. Um, I But I never cared about the Castle Run, so there's probably nothing that they could have done that would have blown me away. Um, you know, maybe or maybe there is, I don't know. But, I, would rank, I would rank Solo, obviously, behind the original trilogy, behind Force Awakens, behind Last Jedi. I would put it above Attack of the Clones for sure. I would put it above Phantom Menace and... Yeah, about eight, eight, seven, or eight, something like that. No, I that's mean, fair. The, bo- the bottom four that's is kind of silly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, all it's done this week, I've basically been on YouTube. Uh, I've been re listening to podcast reviews and I've been on YouTube watching clips. Like, I've just been re obsessing over The Last Jedi. If anything, this movie just made me re appreciate just how fucking great The Last Jedi is and how ballsy that movie is. I, that the Last time Jedi was great. Solo was not. Yeah. Time will be kind to The Last Jedi. And I well, I don't know what I'll think of if they release a second Han Solo movie. I mean, I'm sure I'll go see it because I go fucking see everything. But I'll they be against not, it, man. Because it's not going to make as much money as they wanted it. Yeah, to. they might be like, yeah, this was probably, you know, the, the first one was such a problem. Maybe we should just, like, not tempt the beast again. Just go do a Lando movie. Give, give yeah, that... Donald Glover a meaty role. So are you ex- does the idea of a James Mangold-directed Boba Fett movie excite you? I don't know about excited, but it definitely has me more intrigued because, uh, I don't know, it can go one of two ways. They can obviously go the fan service route because Boba Fett's such a weird character in Star Wars. He really didn't do much at all, but he has such love from the fans, even though he was a pretty minor part of one movie, like the weakest movie of the trilogy. But that also gives me hope because there's so much you can do. There's so much we don't really know about him. Yeah. Um, so you can kind of take it however you want. Um, That's true. There's not as many restrictions. Like there's yeah. no like Kessel Run that you have to hit. There's no beats like that. And Mangold's coming off of Logan, which is a really well done movie that kind of transcended the superhero genre in a cool way. Yeah. So, I assume that's what they want. They want like the dark, grimy version of Boba Fett, like this bounty hunter movie or something. I assume that's why they got Mangold. Oh, it's yeah. because of the Logan thing. Give us like a Clint Eastwood. Boba Fett movie or something. All right, right, Tom. It is running late. This is the longest episode we've ever had. No, it's not. I'd have to check the first one. The first one's pretty long, but I I think this might be the longest. Yeah, this is the longest one we've had. We can cut out your angry nerd boner rant. We will not. In fact, I'm going to record some more, and I'm just going to insert it in there. Good. So it's just going to be me talking, and I'll just... Insert, I'll take one of your mm mm-hmm's from earlier, and I'll just sprinkle it throughout so it'll seem like you're listening to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just, people be like, wow, Tom's making the same noise over and over again. Mm-hmm. But, all right, Tom, this week, do you have any recommendations, rants, wrap-ups, anything of the sort that you want to cover? Mm-hmm. I do. I have a, I'll, I'll keep it quick, a quick recommendation. 
Uh, as we're recording this, it's Wednesday at 11 o'clock at night, L.A. time, and The Americans is officially a show of the past. The series finale aired tonight. I have it recorded. I am going to stay up tonight past my bedtime and watch it because R.I.P. to one of the best TV dramas of this decade. I haven't watched it. I'll catch up one day. You know, you know how I feel about it. For those who haven't seen it and are interested, I know Amazon Prime keeps putting out the seasons. So I know they have the first five. Uh, they're 13 episode seasons. This final season six is 10. So the whole thing, I think, is, what, like 75 episodes? So it's doable. It's not a 200 episode drama or something like that. And it's really interesting. It's really well made. Great use of music. It takes place in the 80s. Spy stuff, which I love. Great performances, great writing, and this season it's it's finishing really strong. Which awesome! I'm super happy. About. Yeah, you never know. You you never know if a show is going to completely shit the bed, like a Dexter or something. Yeah, yeah, no, it's going out strong. It it has clear purpose. You can you can see the end game from the season six premiere. So goodbye, the Americans. I loved you, and I will continue to love you. Well. I'm going to recommend some things that I have been loving recently. And we talked about Pusha T's Daytona, which came out last Friday, same day as Solo. They both dropped. And that is amazing. I would recommend it. We already said it's a quick 21-minute listen. So if you have 21 minutes, you can listen to it on your car ride all the way through. And they're just straight ahead, like simple, you know, seven tracks, three minutes each about. And they're just like very effective rap songs. So if you're into that kind of thing, would definitely recommend that. But the other two albums... I want to talk about one is Leon Bridges. I talked about his song Bad Bad News on our on an earlier episode and it's a great song, but his full album came out that that was on that he was uh, releasing that single from. And let me just tell you, this album is fucking awesome. It's great. It's called Good Thing. It's a uh, came out this year just a little while ago, and basically what he's doing is like he's a fan of different types of R&B, so kind of sprinkled throughout the entire album is like a wide style of R&B that covers 60s stuff, 70s stuff. It sounds a little Prince at times. And there's a track on there specifically that I'm obsessed with called Beyond. It is a cheesy... He's released it as a single, and he's performing it now. It's a kind of a cheesy love ballad that I just am over the moon for. It's so kind of romantic and wonderful, and I think it's something that would be a number one hit any day on the radio if people would listen to it. I would recommend that. I would recommend the whole album. There's also a song on there called You Don't Know that I would jam the fuck out to if you can. It is an amazing Michael Jackson-esque R&B dance song that'll just make you want to fucking dance your ass off. Stop thinking it all, but you might change your mind. Pull you a little closer, one step at a time. Hanging on your words, I don't care if they're lies. You don't know that you got me feeling like. And the other album I would recommend that will make you want to dance your fucking ass off 
is Janelle Monae's new album, Dirty Computer. Have you listened to it? Yeah, I love Janelle Monae. Yeah, Dirty Computer. It's I mean, I would describe it as like a pop R&B album. She's kind of like veered away from the rap. There's still rapping on the album, but it's not quite as R&B infused as I think her earlier stuff was when she first came out with Tightrope and stuff like that. So this album is far more pop-driven, far more sonically in that realm, a little bit more mainstream, but also mainstream in, in terms of the sound it's using, but very like all about women's sexuality and she's been talking about her bisexuality lately so there's a lot of that on the album pansexuality pansexuality there's a lot of that on the album there's a lot of women's rights stuff on the album there's like a song uh pink which is all about you know vaginas and sex and make and there's a song on there that the other song on there that fucking makes my hips explode is called make me feel mm-hmm. that's just the way you make me feel that's just the way that's just the way you make me feel. That's just the way you make me feel. Uh-huh. So so cause so fucking real. Uh-huh. That's just the way you make me feel. That's just the way you make me feel. That's just the way you make me feel. You know I love you so please don't stop it. Those are some songs that I absolutely love. I really love Screwed with Zoe Kravitz. Django Jane is a good song. Like, there's just crazy classic life as track two. Like, it's just an album full of bangers. I really love it. I would recommend it. And, you know, it's so far it's been a really good year for, for music. I've been finding a lot of stuff that I've really liked, including an indie band called Black Moth Super Rainbow. <laughs> that came, They had an album called Panic Blooms that came out. Uh, I, I didn't even mean to recommend that. I just saw it on my list as I was uh, scrolling through. And sure, that's another great one that I would recommend. It's very, like, completely different. It's not R&B. It's like an indie band that's, like, a lot of very droney kind of shoegaze stuff, but more interesting than those bands usually are because I don't like those bands often. But this one's, like, really cool, almost like a more uh, folky Radiohead. That's how I describe them. At Do you this want point. to list a bunch of song titles for them as well? Well, I'm not. I've only listened to the album a couple times. I'm joking. So don't don't do that. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the song I would recommend off is called Backwash, though. That's the okay. that's the one I'll throw. Out. So that's all right. That's the show. That's the show. All right. That's you know. It's been a long one. I'm sorry if anyone's still listening. No one's listening at this point, right? Yeah, no, it's just me. Crazy. It's it's just me and you, right? Yeah. So you and want, I'm you barely want... here. You're just you're just waiting for me to to wrap up at this point. Right? <laughs> I'm ready to wrap up, baby. <laughs> no, all right. You, I really got to pee, guys. Uh, all right, no, I'm just gonna keep talking. All right, fine. Okay. That is the show for this week. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show, even though no one's listening to us anymore. But if you are, please mm-hmm. go do that. Every mm-hmm. one of those helps us out incredibly. Thank you, Zach Pitts, for our theme music. It makes us feel like a real show every single time I hear it. Mm-hmm. Please find us on Twitter at Big mm-hmm. Fat Bond. That's all one mm-hmm. word. Mm-hmm. And you can find me, Phil Wiedenheft. Look for us there. We're on Instagram. We're on the Facebooks. We're on the Twitters. We're on everything. You can seek us if you can find us. That didn't make any sense, but whatever. Tom, I'll see you next week. Go go pee with that big dick of yours that we talked about the other week. 
if uh, anyone is about to go smoke weed, listen to Red Man's How to Roll a Blunt, and then listen to uh, what was the name of the song? Grinding. Grinding. Yeah, listen to both of those and come back and and tweet at us which one you prefer. Yeah, and then listen to those other tracks I recommended, which I, if you were still interested, are. I'm just kidding. Go pee. Go pee, Tom. Oh, my God. You scared me. All right. Bye, everybody. (laughs) I love you all. See ya.